You're listening to Hats, Tats, and Stats Podcast, a championship-caliber pro sports podcast based in Buffalo, New York, with your hosts, EZD, Derek Jaws, T-Wave, Taylor Sekaturski, Big Diesel, Nick Yelich, Bold Claim, Ben Yelich, and Austin Kelm, the Stat Man. Hats, Tats, and Stats is part of the BICBP Radio Network. Check us out online at www.bicbp-radio.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Hats, Tats, and Stats. I am EZD. I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Easy or Big Diesel. Easy Diesel, baby. Easy Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, having a little fun with the sound effects and stuff. Got a new board. Uh, Sick Flex, bro. You know, new the new the new stuff is courtesy of our sponsor, Buffalo Freddy. So let's hear from them real quick. The weather is changing and the sun is shining, which means summer party season is here. And Buffalo Freddy Party Rental has everything you need to get your party started. From tents, tables, and chairs to inflatable bounce houses, water slides, and obstacle courses, Buffalo Freddy has everything you need to take your summer shindig to the next level. Not sure what to serve at your event? Buffalo Freddy does barbecue catering as well. For more details or to make reservations, head over to buffalofreddy.com or give them a call at 716-437-3339. That's 716-4-FREDDY. Buffalo Freddy is a proud sponsor of this podcast. All right. Nice and easy to lay that in now. Cool <laughs> stuff. All kinds of cool stuff. You know stuff how much I love on. just laying it in. Just got to lay it in. Uh, dude, the Avs are a wagon. I was going to say, uh, last last we talked, there was game one, and that was that was a very fun game. But there's been three games since, and I was going to say, are the Lightning in trouble? Uh, I think they are. Are they floundering? Uh, I think they're. I think they're going to put up a good fight. I th- well, I think I mean, they. Yeah, but I think they might take the next one. But I don't think they're winning the whole thing. I don't know. You got to go into. You got to go back to Colorado, mile high, and and play at that altitude. And you know that gets tough. Late third period, it does. I mean, NFL, baseball, freaking NHL, all of it, NBA. Every team gets a little bit more gassed at the end of the game up in Denver. They sure do. Um, you know, it, it. But it's for me. It's one of those things where pride, it, it, pride, and. You're still you're still facing playoff Vazzy, and it's it's an elimination game. He's on the wrong side of it, so let's see if he can keep up that uh, that hot streak. I mean, I get that, but playoff Vazzy, and they've scored. Let's do some quick math here: 11, 13, 16 goals in in, in four games. So right, averaging four pop, and I know Vazzy locks it down when his back's against the wall. Uh, you know, we're we're on record as saying he's he's already Hall of Famer and the best of this generation. So. But at the same time, man, I mean, Nazim Kadri back for Colorado immediately scores the OT goal last night. Which right. I don't know if you saw. There was a bit of controversy. Allegedly, I, I, I saw was, the goal. I didn't see any controversy. Allegedly, about it. there were six Colorado skaters on the ice when the puck went in. Rut row. It was an on-the-fly change. It, it, right. It's, it wasn't. It had no impact on the goal. The rush chance was already going. Right. It was behind the play. Um. But yeah, even so, then. so it's not like the guy who was supposed to come off. No, it was nothing crazy that like that. But of course, on, like... of course, on the official score sheet, there's six Colorado skaters on the ice, and now the Tampa Bay Lightning are like, "Oh, are they going to allow the game-winning goal in overtime with six skaters on the ice?" And it's like, "Look, okay, grow up. If you scored that goal, you'd be you'd be laughing and taking it to the bank too." Yeah, and <sighs> but again, it didn't have any impact on the play. Right, and that's the thing. So what do you like? When people start arguing about stuff like that, like, so what are you, what are you trying to get out of that? Like, what are you trying to do? Um, but you, like, because they're not going to... Invalidate the win? Because yeah, that's not how that works. It's still a 3-1 lead. Yeah, they're not going to go in and be like, oh, we got re- to restart from there. 
That's never happened in the history of sports. They've never. It's, yeah, it's not video games. You can't. You can't alt F four. You can't. You can't rage quit. Right. Like, see, so you. You. There's no shot that they go back and change this game. So just move on. Right. Trust me. Uh, Skate in the crease. Bills, Bills and Sabres fans have been dealing with it for a long, long time. Between a skate and a crease, uh, hold, mean, like holding uh, calls that don't get called that are blatantly at the point of attack. I, I, well, I was going to say, I mean, Stefan Diggs just getting mugged at the end of the Buccaneers game this past year. Like, right. that comes to mind. Sure does. But and, and that's, Levi Wallace sneezed in the direction of Mike Evans and uh, flags yeah. came out. Oh, man. I mean, like, so they're, they're never going to ever in a million years change this. So, like, no, no. All, all you can do is go forward and win the next one. Right three times right yeah you gotta win three straight and like you said bass he's great with his back against the wall but at this point i mean the abs have clearly showed the ability to to score you know and it's one of those things that he's great with his back against the wall but it's always he's always been on the positive side of it he's always been on the right my back's against the wall because if we win this we move on i mean he did show up uh in the columbus game four when they got swept right for this this stanley cup couple runs here um, like he had a really bad first three games and then showed up in game four and they still lost. It was like, I want to say it was like one, nothing or two, nothing. Right. And, um, so, I mean, if he gets game, if he shows up like that and they don't score, I, I don't, I don't think it matters. I honestly, I know they're not winning three straight I against know. this avalanche team. This avalanche team has finally figured it out. Helma Carr is so good at hockey. <laughs> He's so good at hockey. I mean, they have like a lot of really good hockey players and like their forward core is terrific. Obviously getting Kadri back is huge, but like Ranton and Landeskog, McKinnon, um, Burakovsky is a playoff performer for some reason. He just like actually shows up. Right. Uh, you got new hook. Like they just got, they just got ballers. But then on the back end, like, Cal McCarr is – I've never seen anything like it. I thought Victor Hedman was one of the best defensemen I'd seen in my lifetime because he was six foot five and could move and score and all that. And then this is, like, Cal McCarr's third year. Right. So, yeah. When is when's the next game? The next game is Friday at 8 p.m. Friday at 8 p.m. That sounds like a good time to watch some hockey. Friday at 8 p.m. It sure is. I'm going to have to double TV it, though, because there's going to be some primetime lacrosse going. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of primetime lacrosse, the uh, El Banditos didn't come up. Broke my heart. Absolutely yeah, you, broke my you, heart. You were there. Sure was. And uh, you know more about the game of Lax than I do. Um, they, the... I mean, look, it, the Colorado Mammoth goalie ended up winning the, uh, the what's it called, the, the finals MVP, because he really did show up the, the game two and game three. But God damn it, man, the bandits were hitting him right in the chest. And and you see it in hockey, too, where it's just like you get opportunities and then you just make the goalie look better than he already is. And he right. didn't need help with it because he was already sure. playing well. And then it just becomes a snowball effect. And honestly, like, I didn't think that the bandits' defense or Matt Vince lost them that series. I thought it was the offense didn't show up nearly right. as much as they had throughout the entire season. So one of my things here, and we actually watched, so I was in Cooperstown. Right. Uh, we got done with our two games on Saturday, and we went to one of just the worst. Sports bars? It wasn't even a sports bar. It looked it, it was it, it was a barbecue joint that apparently had changed over ownership. So the new owners didn't want to be a barbecue joint, but the words or the letters BBQ were like 
painted on the tin roof of the building, so they had to have some barbecue stuff. But you know, it's a good start when they when you walk in and they go, "We ran out of brisket." Ooh. Tough. And then you then you look at the rest of their menu and they're like, "Oh, that's one of three barbecue things they have." What kind of barbecue yeah. joint doesn't have pulled pork? A bad one. That's the one. Um, Clearly not a barbecue joint. But we rigged up the TV. We uh, the, all their TVs were Roku TVs. So we Electric. got got the YouTube live app going on one of my uh, one of my teammates' accounts. We watched the Bandits game um, until about a little little after halftime. Then we went back to the Airbnb and we watched the rest of the game. That game, the Mammoth did a great great job of just setting a box and making the Bandits take outside shots. Yeah, but here's my thing too: is is the Bandits like they don't care about what defense? Like if you watch all season. Dane Smith and Josh Byrne will throw these skip passes all through. If you want to play the box, that's fine. We'll pass it around the outside, but also we got good enough passers. Well, they'll throw a skip to that back corner, and like Connor Fields, really good shot from outside. If he gets a shot from, you know, 10 yards plus out, he's one of the best in the league. So normally when they see a defense like that, it's not a problem. Right. And – Dylan Ward was really good where if you just straight up step down, because that's obviously what they the Mammoth wanted, is they wanted them to take the outside shots. If you just step down from outside and Dylan Ward is squared up, he's like six foot five. Right. And he got to the top of the crease like a hockey goalie. Most NLL goalies sit right on the crease. Right. And they just try to be as big as possible. He's six foot five and he goes and cuts down the angle. So if you don't get him moving, if you don't move the ball and shoot off of a pass or like a quick little hitch. He's just going to eat it up. Of everything, and we said it the whole time we were sitting there watching, is that the bandits looked like they like they weren't winning, so they started rushing things. Like they they weren't setting bit. up passing, they weren't moving the ball around. Um, yeah, it, it was it was too much. Like I just said, just straight up step down, and you're just not going to beat Dylan Ward like that. He's he's too good of a goaltender. Um, and you know Zed Williams did Zed Williams things. You really can't contain him. Right. He just kept popping four goals every time. But at the same time, it's not like Colorado lit up the Bandits and no. the Bandits were averaging like sixteen goals a game. Right. And they scored what eight? Yeah. And then seven. It was like okay, that that's it. It, it almost was a collapse of the offense. It, uh, it oh it almost looked like the moment was too big for the offense. Like they like they weren't sure. Of themselves in those last couple games, yeah, and like Josh Byrne wasn't taking it to the rack like he had all season. Well, um, and, and Tahoka was... Tahoka wasn't. I mean, Tahoka was really good uh, in against the Rock in the the champ the NF, or NFC Jesus Christ the East Championship right. Eastern Conference Championship. Uh, he had five goals and he was eaten in the middle of the field. Right, and then against Colorado, he was like setting picks. And just, like, not – and then he would, like, float out. Right. And it was like, Tahoka, dude, you are this, like, strongest, just best center of gravity guy on the offense. You need to be in the middle of the field. Plus, he's got sick hands, and you never know when the ball's coming out or where it's going. So that's kind of – that's perfect. Catch it on the inside. Dylan Ward has to reset and move. Hopefully, Tahoka, being Tahoka, hits the back of the net. But just none of that. It was just, let's move it around the outside. There was no skip passes, no, no crease play. I mean, honestly, during the season, a couple times when, when they got shut down, they, they went to like an X, which you see in field a lot, where a guy goes behind the net. You don't see that a lot in the NLL because there's not a ton of space, but the Bandits did it a couple times where they end up going with like a diamond, one on the crease. Right. Um, and that worked. None of that. So part of it seemed to be they just didn't seem to adjust. They just said, yeah, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, and we're just, we can beat 
the mammoth this way, and it was like, no, all season you adjusted to the way that you needed to play. If Albany wanted to run transition, you ran transition, and you said, we'll just outrun you. We'll beat you at your own game. And, yeah, I I, they, I don't know what happened in the finals. Uh, the other thing that I noticed, too, was um, it looked like every time the mammoth went down in transition, they just walked through and got a quality shot. Like, I, like yeah. whether, whether they scored or not is another story, but, I mean, they just walked in and just – Oh look! Here's a lane. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna shoot, and then it was a uh, please don't score. Please don't score. Please don't score. I mean, I will say this: that is, uh, the Bandits did play a bit of that, where they just kind of if the if the other team gets out in transition, Matt Vince up for goalie of the year, and all this stuff. So he's a stud. Yeah. So basically, if you get one defender back, two defenders back, and 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 you can just force one pass, and then they'll settle. Um, that's ideal, and then you got two guys upfield. So you rely on Matt Vince to make a quick save. You got two guys already up there. Everybody on Colorado is following that or changing, and then you can get quick, transition. Quick transition the yourself. other way. But I thought Colorado did a good job of if they if they missed the net, they ended up getting their own rebound off the back wall, or it was just not a clean save by Matt Vince because they were really placing it well and they were right. making him work. And then he had to like sit on it, and then a defender comes in and picks it up, and that kills the transition back the other way. Right. And it, it was very interesting. First off, it was awesome watching it on national TV. I know, that's great. That was, that was really that. cool. Um, it was also cool, again, watch, like hearing the crowd, hearing, like seeing how... Dude, how it was electric in there. And I mean, right right to the end, like, I mean, we were there till the end, and pretty much the whole crowd stayed and was like trying to get the boys going, like... Well, because lacrosse is that game, you know, it's a it's a more of a, always more of a high-scoring affair, and it's one of those things that you know you can turn a, a two to three goal lead like that's not safe. Oh like, yeah, no, you're not. You're not talking about it's, hockey. It's where, very similar to basketball. It's a game of runs. Yeah. If a team goes on a 10-0 run in basketball, that's you know a four goal run in lacrosse. Yeah. Um, very similar possession based. Yeah. And it was it was very very interesting to watch it. I you know I'm getting more and more into the world of lacrosse, especially you know yeah, you ma- don't it really makes, have a choice, pal. Yeah, I know. And it also makes it easy when you know there's a team in your backyard that's pretty good at it. So. And the the bandits have been good for a long time, right? And it's just one of those things where it just seems now with things going the way they're going in sports, like Buffalo sports are getting good, so it's easy to care about the minor sports, right? When the big sports are going on, and you're waiting for them, right? I mean, honestly, that's it, right? The, I mean, if the if the Sabers aren't going to be good and playing into the playoffs, the bandits the bandits have been, so right. they get they get love in the springtime, summer, early summer, you know. Uh, so real quick here, I got a, I got a thing and I got worried because Stefan Diggs is trending on Twitter and that, well, is that cause he was chirping Gabe Davis? Cause that no. was a great little conversation. No. Turn your phone off, pal. Did you hear that over the, I did. <laughs> it's cause the Bluetooth's on. Uh, <laughs> I oh took a phone, fo- I took a phone call on this at one point. Love that. But, uh. So the highest graded Bills wide receiver during the PFF era, uh, number four is Lee Evans at an 80. Number three is Sammy Watkins at an 82. Number two is Stevie Johnson at 82.5. And Stefan Diggs, numero uno, 90.2. I'm shocked. Yeah. Can you hear my shocked voice? I'm just glad it's, uh, I'm, I'm just glad it, like that's why he's trending. Yeah. No, Hundo P. I'm with that. He's also third uh, in receiving yards over the last three years. 
behind only Devontae Adams. I and saw, okay, did you see the thing on Twitter before we jump to PLL? Because I got things to say. Did you see the thing on Twitter? I want to say that WGR put out, and it was like what drought era quarterback would get it done uh, with McDermott and stuff. And people said EJ Manuel. And then, like, people started talking about the offense that he had actually around him. And it was like, yeah, he had no excuse to fail. Because, like, Stevie Johnson coming off the Ryan Fitzpatrick era had the back-to-back 1,000-yard receiving season since Eric Moles, first guy. And then EJ came in, and it's like, oh, that's the decline of Stevie Johnson. It's like nobody thought that it had anything to do with the fact that he went from Fitzpatrick to EJ Manuel as why he declined. He just wasted one of his prime years with a rookie quarterback with a noodle arm. And it's funny because it's one of those things that – you mentioned it, and I just saw a Twitter – a tweet from uh, the guys from Air Raid, and it was two hot takes for the day. The J.P. Lossman would have been a legit NFL quarterback if drafted by a team whose coaching staff had a pulse. And E.J. Manuel, if E.J. Manuel was drafted in the fourth round, he'd have had a 10-year career as a backup or a spot starter. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the E.J. Manuel one. I just don't think he had it. He was not a good football player. No. I mean, they they wanted to start Jameis Winston over him at Florida State, but they didn't because Jameis was a freshman and he was a senior. Right. That's like that. I mean, that's like a nepotism, like you know, favoritism thing that you probably shouldn't do. But that's the only reason he played his senior year at Florida State, and that team was, if if you remember that, those Florida State team teams were stacked, yeah, just stupid stacked, and he couldn't even bring them to do anything. Right. So then, I mean, he gets a an NFL roster where, like, seriously, think about that team: Fred Jackson, C.J. Spiller, right? Dildo hands Chandler, but he was a good blocker, right? Um. Dildo hands Chandler, Jesus Christ. I mean, he really, he was he was a horrific receiver. Yes, he was. But, you know, Stevie Johnson, rookie Robert Woods. Um, was that Sammy Watkins or was that the next year? I don't remember. Um, but, like, regardless, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, you're, I mean, you're not wrong. Like, And that. it was one of the best lines with Levitri, Wood. Uh, was that Richie's first time? No, his first time was early in the 2000s with Buffalo. I don't know, but the offensive line was not the worst that we've ever had. It was not like the freaking Ike Bodker and John Mills. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. EJ had no reason to fail. I just I saw that on Twitter, and I was like, I know people loved EJ and wanted him to succeed, but he was not a good football player. No. There's a reason he went to the broadcast booth, like, after three years. Yeah, I mean, we weren't – I mean – Smart guy. Nate, Nate, very smart. Nate very good Peterman. on the board. Nate Peterman has had a longer NFL career than E.J. Manuel had. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so you have some PLL things to say. I do have some PLL things because PLL is fully back. The NLL guys are back to the rosters. So the the games are a bit more uh, intriguing because some of that lower talent who is filling in, as we said, the chaos. I mean, they had seven guys on the Bandits. So, all of a sudden, you get seven of your best players back. Here we go. And Chaos is 0-3. So, uh, can we just do, like, a little little run through the games here, Jaws? Yeah, run it through. All right. So, the first game is Redwoods Whip Snakes. Redwoods is too many cooks in the, uh, in the, the, what's it called? The kitchen. Too many cooks in the kitchen. Everybody needs the ball in their stick. Nobody's an off-ball player. So, they're 1-2 and two right now. They still got talent everywhere. Um, I don't think they're getting anybody back from the NLL. The Whip Snakes, on the other hand, are three and zero, and they're getting Zeddy Williams back. So, um, not great news for the league, considering that he was the bubble MVP right. and Finals MVP, and almost had a Finals MVP last year, but they lost to Chaos. So, getting him back to pair with Matt Rambo on attack, all of a sudden the Whip Snakes at three and zero are becoming even more dangerous. 
Um, so that that's the that's Friday at six thirty, and then Friday at nine fifteen. This is why I'm gonna have to double TV it. Chaos Water Dogs. Ooh. Two zero and three teams. Water Dogs are banged up, but they're getting Dylan Ward back, their goalie. Right. So they've been running their backup goalie. Chaos. Here we go. They. I mean, besides Max Adler, who apparently was playing injured at the end of the NLL season, who's the faceoff guy. Um, they're getting back to Hoka, Josh Byrne, Dane Smith, Ian McKay, Chase Frazier, and uh, oh man, Tahoka. So, damn near a full line of players. Correct. And again, you were saying it last week when we were on here, but it's the same thing this week. One of the worst offenses in the league right now, and all this stuff, and not very good in transition. But you look at it, and it's like, yeah, that makes sense. When I just name the names that are coming back, and like, we know that they're good lacrosse players in terms of you and me, right? Um, just because we watch the Bandits, uh, so there's a ton of talent coming back, and th- even though they started zero and three. Top six teams make the playoffs, so all they got to do is start going on a bit of a run here. Then on Saturday, Saturday we got Cannons Chrome. Chrome off to a three and zero start. Two rookie attackmen, Logan Wisnowskis and Brendan Nickturn, are leading them. So they're a pretty fun team to watch. Also, though, me and Ben had a little bit of a gripe with them last week. They went with Matt Gray helmets, and their name is the Chrome. Easy lob up. They've yeah. had only chrome helmets for the, to this point, and yeah, that doesn't sound like it makes much sense. Yeah, um, the cannons. Lyle Thompson is one of the best players in the league, but he's constantly banged up, wildly like I wouldn't say inconsistent because when he's on the field, he's unbelievable. But like you just need him on the field. Um, other than that, they're they're kind of they're kind of struggling. One and two. They're nothing like they're really built around Lyle. And like I said, if he's not on the field, then what do you got? Right. Um, and then the last one on Saturday, 8.45, Archers-Atlas, 2-1 and one versus 2-1. and one. This is going to be a fun one. Connor Field goes back to Archers, adds to their already terrific offensive lineup. They got Will Manny, uh, Marcus Holman, Tom Schreiber, uh, Trey LeClaire now adding Fieldsy back in. All these guys are like, you know, they were studs at the college level, they're studs at the pro level. And it's not the same as the Redwoods where it's too many uh, cooks in the kitchen, right. too many chefs in the kitchen, whatever you want to say, because they do, like – Manny and Holman are great off-ball guys where they're going to move off-ball, find their spot, catch, and just rip. Um, so they, they, they do a nice job there. And same with the Atlas. They're, they're super young. They traded Paul Rabel and Rob Pinnell for, like, a bunch of draft picks and loaded up, and now they got some of the best young offensive talent in the league. They got two of the best young two-way midfielders in the league, and they'll get out and run. They, right. they will play fast, and they're a fun team to watch. So. So, so we're really kind of hitting a point now where that you know, the league as a whole might a flip on its head and b could really be really just hit another level with all these guys coming back that played for the two teams Absolutely. that were that were it, finishing up I mean, the NLL. You could almost look at the first three weeks like a preseason because there was a lot of guys who weren't on the same page because they haven't played together and haven't right. had the reps. So, like. People say, oh, how are the chaos going to be better with these guys coming back? How are they just going to mesh with the rest of the team right away? And it's like, okay, well, they've also just been playing an entire season in the NLL, made a championship run. A season after they made it 
a championship run and won with the chaos. Like the chaos won the championship last year. Right. So it's not like it's not like it's a shock to lacrosse fans that they're zero and three right now after missing those guys. But it also isn't going to be a shock to us when they start winning again by a lot because they just got those guys back. But like if you're a casual fan who just picked up lacrosse and you see chaos zero and three, you're like. Why the heck are these guys favorited in this game when their record is worse and this other teams have lighting it up? It's like, relax. They're right. they're a good team. They're a very good team. Yeah. Um. I mean, and and those are every every week, right? Every yeah. Friday, Saturday. Friday, Saturday. Some of them are uh, Saturday, Sunday, but it's hit or miss. Cool. Oh well, the reason they they they've been doing that, I think at least, is because they moved to the soccer stadiums, like we talked about last week, and MLS plays a lot. Sundays. MLS so, is still a thing? Yeah. Oh. Oh, it's quite big. Oh. All right, then. Yeah. I didn't know. There's even, like, a uh, a league below it. What? Yeah. What's that called? I don't know. Okay. My dad's buddy uh, owns part of a team in Charlotte. Oh. Well, there you go. And that's why Matthew McConaughey got all that, because that, he got a team down in Dallas, and they were in the lower league. The more you know. Jumped, but I don't know. <laughs> Oh man! Regardless, I would love to see at the end of this year because they have the MLL, uh, yeah, MLL, MLL teams in their back pocket to expand by at least two teams, because there's just so much talent on every roster that it's it's unfair to the defense. I know we said that again last week, but like, yeah, you got you got to split up the talent more. You 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 can't have. Steven Stamkos, Austin Matthews, Alex Ovechkin, Connor McDavid, and Leon Draisaitl all on the same team, and be like, "Oh, well, how come they can't stop, you know, them from scoring?" It's like, well, because that's an all-star team. What are you supposed to do? Yeah, and that's exactly what it is because that's an all-star team, right? But that's that's what a lot of these teams are right now, and that's why like the Water Dogs, very good professional players, but there's just teams that are just super loaded, right? And you can't get them off their roster. Yeah, you you almost need the expansion draft to so, to whittle to, them down. Yeah, to just as a as like from a com- competition standpoint, like you don't want these guys like you don't want those teams that are just so unbeatable to be the only teams having a shot at the end of the year. Right, and you also don't want every team being four and four because like one team's offense shows up one week, one team's offense shows up the next, and it's right. like a revolving door of like there's not really a good team, there's not really a bad team. So you got to find that middle ground. Yeah, um, and. I mean, it's definitely interesting because it's, you know, it's a, it's a newer league, a little bit more upstart, and the, um, you know, you, you don't want them to fall early. It's easy early, I think, when you're kind of the the first and the biggest to have this like stacked team concept where like all these all oh, of yeah. these teams could be an all star team essentially, oh, yeah. and then. You know, you, you bring new team like you're slow to bring new teams in because like oh you know these you know, guys like playing together and whatever and like, but I like you want to avoid the NBA thing where you have four teams at the top and everyone else is just kind of there or everybody there was like the 2000s everybody was in the West and right. it was LeBron in the East yeah. and it was like okay well that's great so you know LeBron's going to the finals in the East because it's just a pushover conference right which is why he's like three and. Three and nine, or three and six, or whatever yeah. in finals. It's almost like you get if if you iron sharpens iron, and if you just play better teams all season, you're going to be a better team, right? But that's you know that's why they kind of need to expand the league, even out the talent pool across it. Um, honestly, wouldn't mind seeing kind of like a, a division conference setup, sure. Where maybe like you play a cut, like you know you you split it into five and five. And you play those other four teams in your division twice each, and then right. you play the rest of them once each. There you go. That's nine 
Sorry. Carry the two. Eight plus five. (laughs) 13 games. So maybe that's a little bit too much. But, you know. You can start getting into stuff like that, right? And making like, more like like that's where the rivalries will start really coming. Absolutely, out. and you can even do it. You can even do a thing then where potentially, if the league gets big enough, and we're not. I mean, we're not talking like doubling in size, right? But like, where you could do this barnstorming concept and be at two different locations every week, right? Right, you know? east and west, yeah, north and south, something like that. Yeah, where you're, you know, you're getting more coverage around the country because you know. You can have Saturday's games all here and Sunday's I was going to say, what about, what about Friday night, Saturday morning in one location, Saturday night, Sunday in right. another, you yeah. know, and there you go. Like, Yeah, each each shot gets a prime time in an early game, you know, in an early slot. Right. You know, one's Friday, one's Saturday, one's, one's Saturday, one's Sunday. Like, right. it's, you know, and again, just grow the brand, build, build, build the league. Right. I'm with you on that. I like that. Yeah. I, I, I think it'd be cool. And like I said, I, I think... At some point, and we we talk about it all the time. We, there needs to be another football league below the NFL that right. that survives. Right. And, Besides the CFL. Right. Because the CFL is just different, like, and it's enough of a different sport that like the translation's not there. Right. Um, you know, and, and a place for undrafted rookies to go and right. play right, in right, a right. secondary again, draft. Get and, film. You know, get get film in a pro offense. Right. You know, because I, I and I think that's one of the things that the it can't be so different that you can play the college game more because we've seen it. Like we, right. we have 32 teams and there's not 32 qualified NFL quarterbacks because the NFL game is just different. But I mean, you can make that same argument in hockey that there's not 32 qualified starting goaltenders. Sure. You know, and you can go down the line and I'm sure in baseball, there's not 32 qualified starting catchers that can do both batting and fielding. That's a little bit more of a stretch, but not inaccurate, not compl- not incredibly inaccurate. You know, I mean, you know, like you when you get near the bottom, you have like your your Jorge Posadas who hit the shit out of the ball, right? But like by the end of his career, the like the yeah, pitchers the were range like, is not there. Well, you the, have to the, put it down the plate. Like his last ten years, pitchers on his team were like, I don't want to throw to him. Yeah, they're like, but we're play- paying him millions and millions and millions. I don't care. You're paying me million millions yeah. and millions more. I don't want to throw to him. Yeah. Like so. Um. But I mean, like, I, none of those positions. Like, I'm I'm a big proponent in baseball. If you have average catching and dominant pitching, you have average pitching because a catcher right. can make or break it. Right. But uh, I don't think any of those positions. You know, you you can play tight defense in front of a soft goalie and do okay. Right. You can't have a bad. Well, quarterback and then I don't know. I'll raise you, Aaron Dell. I said you can. Not that it's not not that it works every time. It didn't work at all with him. I'm well aware. I mean, the 883 save percentage really uh, <laughs> did not help with that. On like two goals expected through like eight games. Right. Like I said, I for me, it's one of those things that you can get away with a a, a subpar catcher. You can get away with a subpar yeah. goalie. You cannot get away with a subpar because I mean, when, when we're when we're talking subpar, you know, you talk about. I, it manager. depends on the situation because I don't I, like if you're playing another bad team, you could definitely get away with a subpar. When we had Matt Barkley in and we waxed the Jets, yes, you know, like there's the, but we're I know there's always going to be situations. I get what you're saying. Like we we also didn't like we we weren't expecting Matt Barkley to run a season for us. No, like I'm talking about you know when you have a guy like Alex Smith who's not really going to make a ton of mistakes. He's not going to light it on fire, but he's not going to lose you football games. You can get away with. I mean, that's uh, you know I, when you yeah, look at when you look at the, the upper the upper echelon of quarterbacks, you're like he's quote unquote subpar. 
I would I would say he's <coughs> more on level with Par, but yeah, you know you can get well, away. That's with- the age old you know NFL starter versus backup versus well you know, it, franchise what is a franchise quarterback versus a starter and Joe like, Joe Flacco is elite question mark like well, that's that's not even up for discussion that's that's you know, just, that's but, a fact but but if you look at that team that what was that team built around stout hammering defense a pretty solid running game yeah turn around and give it to Willis McGahee yeah and then and that was a young Ray Rice too wasn't it yeah before he had the left hook yeah so i mean like a a, a damn good running game yeah um that line was pretty nasty too. His, his, like they they kept him upright, and he his his job was don't make mistakes, and he looked good doing it sometimes. Like sure did had that three touchdown game in the playoffs. Then he then he goes you know then he goes to any other team, and it's like oh yeah, he no, wasn't like, that good. No. <laughs> Elite. Yeah. So uh, it, it's definitely an, an interesting thing. Like you want you want to spread that talent out, and you like and as far as the NFL goes, I think they again having these leagues that survive and. I think again, dialing all the way back to what we were talking about, the PLL does a great job of kind of like showing the groundwork for how to do it in this day and age. Yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna build a a, a league that's gonna compete. No, and they're not I, trying to compete with the NFL. Or, no, and like that's why they're already saying that they can't make the season longer because they don't want to compete with the NFL, even though it's just regular season. People are going to watch that over the championship game. That's right. just the way it is. Because the NFL is That's fine. The NFL is a monster. When in, in, as far exactly. as the big four, you can't just take them on. Like that's just not going to happen. And I think that they're doing a good job of staying grounded in it. Yeah. And and working with what they got. You know. And, but I I think when you talk about some of these other football leagues coming in that want to play in the spring and everything else, they're trying to bite. They're actually they're biting off a little bit more than they can chew. You know, they're biting off right. a little bit too much in the realm of. Oh, we're gonna have teams from different cities. Like, oh, but you know, we don't want to pay for travel, so we're only gonna play in one. Right. Like, you're you're putting I'm yourself very in the ball interested there. to see what's up with the XFL's plan. Yeah, the the rocks version of the XFL, XFL yeah. three point if they do the same thing where they they try to settle down in cities, right? Because like that's just it's it's setting yourself up for disaster. It is because honestly, that's why the MLL failed. Like, you want to go back to why the PLL even did this barnstorming thing? Right. The MLL failed because they ch- kept trying to put teams in cities, and then the team would move after two seasons. Right. There's three good spots. There was Chesapeake, Boston, and Long Island. And then the rest of the league was a revolving door of just cities getting the same team that just got, like, these five, six teams were moving around. And it's like, okay, well, that's just not good for the league. It's like moving cities every two seasons doesn't doesn't create a fan base. No. So that's really why they started going under, because you're not getting fans out to the game. You're not getting any buzz in that city. Nobody really cares. Nobody's showing yeah. up. You're not getting ticket revenue. The, the the biggest thing when you're, which is why I think playing in just one city for the USFL is working-ish, is you're, you're getting bums in seats. You're getting people Absolutely. to watch. You're getting people there. It wasn't the worst thing that they could do. But like we said, just why attach the city's names to these teams if you're never going to play there? Right. You're like you're you're never playing and in... settle them down later. Yeah. When you're when you're big enough and you're growing and you can actually like okay like now this is what market likes what team. Yeah. And like we're we're gonna put like what market like if the NFL were to expand, where are they going to it, like in the continental U.S. If a team if right. the NFL was going to expand, where are they going? Like where's their first seven stops, eight stops? Right. Because we have one spot that already has a home team that we've played there the whole time. Where are the next seven places that the NFL wants to go in the continental U.S.? Right. Let's go there. Let's go to St. Louis, who's been begging for a team back. Right. Let's go to Oakland, who just lost a team and would love to fill that stadium again. Like, 
Yeah. Stuff like that. It'd be, why does it sound or so let's easy? go to states that don't have a major NFL market, but maybe have a big college market. Right. Why is, why is Birmingham, Alabama working so well? Because there's a big Because they lost team. UAB for a moment. Right. Alabama has no pro sports teams. Right. What do you want to do on a Saturday, Sunday? Yeah. Let's go watch some pro football. I mean, and they're, you know, especially when we're talking about, like, some of these, like, Canadian hockey leagues and stuff that are, like, they're, they're four-team AAA leagues that are, like, these guys make 70 grand a year because they sell out and they, they sell tickets. Right. Like. I mean, yeah, that's honestly, why does, why is Canadian junior hockey so big? Because all these little towns all have their 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 team, but it's not like they can support an NHL or AHL market. Right, they're just a small town. But that small town also, you know, kind of Friday night light style shuts down on a Friday night to go watch the junior team play. Yeah, and like that's why those it's a similar kind of college vibe. I mean, you know? a, a perfect example of this is uh, Batavia. Yeah. So Batavia has a, the Batavia Muck Dogs. They were a single A affiliate of the Marlins, I believe. But they're now a collegiate team that plays in the perfect game collegiate league and that like is all basically through the northeast around here. Right. And they they pack that house with like oh, oh like ten like I, I I've heard different between, you know, seventeen hundred to seventeen thousand people. I don't think it's seventeen thousand, yeah. but like I mean two two thousand, three thousand, four thousand right. people, whatever it is, like for Batavia. Like for, for Batavia. It's yeah. and Batavia's just a small city exactly. in the middle of Freaking nowhere, like Utica. Yeah, Utica Comets are perfect for the city of Utica because it, again, everybody shuts down the city. We're gonna go watch the Comets. I mean, hell, when the when the UC team is playing, well, UU now, um, and the Comets are playing at the same time. When we got recruits, the football recruits for visits, we would right. go down to the arena and watch hockey before you know. And that was just like, hey, this is what we do in Utica. We go, we watch sports, we have a good time, right? We hang out, and like that's a good way to get you know them a feel of the vibe for the city, the the fandom. And being like, yeah, man, like if if it's a small town, so if you do well, the people will come out and just get crazy. Yeah, when I was going through my football recruiting and I did my visit at Brockport, that's exactly what they said. Now they didn't have that that you know lower tier pro sports team to talk about, but they looked and they're like, listen, when you play for Brockport football, like even the guys who don't play a ton, the people in this town know who you are. Which and they and they said like, listen, like coaches in here, this, that, that's a dual edged sword. Oh yeah. You, you like you do well. You do good stuff. Like you get a lot of love around here. People know who you are. Like, you know, and you get not that you get quote unquote taken care of and breaking NCAA regulations, right. but like you know, uh, people you, people will just like honestly, you just walk on campus, they'll be like, hey, what's up? And you're yeah. Like, oh, hi. Yeah, like the the one dude, the one lineman was telling us like, listen, like I like I'll, like one of my favorite restaurants. I walk in, he goes, they don't, they've never given me anything for free. I always pay for my stuff. Like, so it's not like that, but like. I walk in and it's, hey, Big Jim, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Everybody right. knows me, and he goes, I, I have, I shake seventeen hands on my way to, on my way to an open booth, and like everything else. He goes, and but at the same time, like you go into town, you do something stupid, yeah. Everyone knows who you are, right? Like, and that it, it's that small town feel that, right? You know. But the back to our point, there's plenty of there's plenty of spots like that. If the USFL wanted to settle down, that they could do that. Right. But not after already attaching these places, these teams to cities. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's what, what makes it tough. I mean, it's you want to build a league. And we, again, we've said on this podcast a ton of times there needs to be a step between college and the NFL. It yeah. works for every other sport on the planet. And, like, why is it that the NFL is so different? Well, one, because college has gotten away with playing a style of football that doesn't work at the next level. Right. 
And well, because college is still very high school esque, where if you just have better athletes, you win. Right. But in the NFL, I mean, Jason Witten, not a top tier athlete. No. But God damn it, was he always open? Yeah. I mean, so you know, at the NFL, there is that next level jump where you have to be a a I would say good to great athlete, and you have to be terrifically instinctual and or smart. Right. Well, and then you get these guys that are. Fifth, sixth, seventh round picks that, and we and every year we see fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks turn into absolute studs. Here's my thing too, because I see a lot of like big school guys who play in big conferences just kind of like not do anything at the next level. I feel like sometimes you get better coaching at small schools. You also sometimes you also have to try harder. Yeah, like like, when you I also when you're the when you're the top recruit of your position and you go to the best school, like are you going against other top recruits? Sometimes, yeah. Like, but if you're if you're not highly touted, if you're not you know a five star blue chip whatever, and you go to some mid level conference and like the guys who put up like those school records at schools like that, yeah, are the dudes that I'm looking at going <laughs> yeah. like, listen, you've had to work, yeah. Like you're not going to be able to just come in and just be better than everyone around you when you get to the NFL. My thing too is I just feel like a lot more of the big school coaches specialize because they're trying to move on to the next level. And some of the smaller school coaches are just teaching. They're just teaching football, well, at least as much as they know. And to be honest, once you get to that next level and you get those specialization coaches, but if you have better base technique and game sense, they can work with that better. Well, and that's one of those things too that you look at it and you say, okay, I, what's my job? Like if if I'm if I'm a if I'm a big D one school coach, and my name is not Urban Meyer, and my name is not Nick Saban. What 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 is my job? To win football games, and get a and get a big contract, right. whether whether it's here, a bigger school in NCAA, right. or in or in the NFL. So I'm going to do whatever I can to win football games. Right. I mean, we saw it with Pete Carroll. It took a year or two for him to figure out the NFL game to in a way that allowed him to win some football games. Yeah. You know, and, and like that was the big like, oh come on, like this dude, like his first year, people were like, mm-hmm, there you go, yeah. buddy. Like, There's Pete Carroll. You know, and like the coaching style, like coaching young kids versus coaching grown, men. grown ass men. Like, yeah. you know, because the young, the, the oldest dude you ever coached is now the youngest guy in your roster. Right. Like, that's a big jump. Um, but I mean, these younger guys, like, they might be looking to get to the next level. And I think any, almost any coach is like, yeah. you know, no, nobody says, I'm good at this, like, mid level D2 school that's going to be a, a like, hovering around 500 every year that you want to get better you want a the more you win the more job security you have i agree there's also i mean there's situations that i see in d3 all the time where it's like i want to go coach for my alma mater and then sure you know they, they work their way around the conference and then eventually get their alma mater spot and then they spot up and then retire well and i mean there's yeah, there's a couple local juco coaches here in the western new york right. area for baseball that have i mean one's got a thousand wins the other one just hit his 500th win this past year they're neither one like both of them have gotten bigger offers right they're both very comfortable very good with where they're at their families here their you know their wife their children right. like they're good and, and that's what i'm that's that's kind of what i'm saying too is i just think some of that lower level coaching is is more like because they love the place and because they they want to teach football at that school or for that community and it's not alabama where Saban's just like bring me the best athletes we're gonna go win right and you're not really anything more than me than just like do things right and play football well Right, and you know it's one yeah, of those. I'm preparing men. Are you Nick? Yeah. Are I, you really? <laughs> you know, like you you think about it too. The 
just the way that you have to coach when you're not just gifted with the best best athletes out there. Right. I was going to say you have to do more with less. Right. You, you actually know, you, have to coach You have scheme. to teach football. You, you have, have to, to put them the in a good like, spot to make a play. Yeah. And that's really your job as a coach. But And that's the thing. Like, I've seen Saban doing, you know, his coaching talks, and he'll put all stuff out on online. And he even says, I will show you everything I do because you don't have the athletes to do it as good as we do. Right. And it's like he'll show concepts of, like, bunch, and he'll have – you know, an outside backer on the number three receiver, the corner two and two off the outside receiver, and a safety over the top, and then they just go one, two, three from corner inside or corner backer safety wherever they break. You just you unpack the bunch, right? And it's like, wow, that's really great. But if you don't have the guys to read it quick and be athletic enough to break on those, you can't run it. Right. If you don't have that backer that can hang there, right. you're, so, you're in trouble. Exactly. So <laughs> it's like, that's a great concept if I had the guy. And that goes back to, I saw like a YouTube video, and the one guy, he's like, uh, Brandon, this is when Brandon Staley was with the Rams. He's like, Brandon Staley revolution, revolutionizing how defense is, is run. And it just came down to Aaron Donald can two-gap. And I was like, that's not revolutionizing defense. It's just using the best defensive lineman in pro football the way he should be used, to two-gap, because he's that good. Right. But you're not revolutionizing anything because you have the best football player at that position. Yeah. <laughs> uh, run that with, I don't know, the Texans and let me know how revolutionary it is. I mean, literally anybody besides Aaron Donald. Who else right. is an interior D lineman who you can see naturally two-gap but yet rush the passer? Right. Like I mean, it's just not there. there. There might be one or two guys who can try. Ed Oliver is a terrific three-tech. Terrific three tech. My guy can't two gap. He can't and, two gap. And there's again nothing wrong with that. It's just not you can't you can't then say that a guy's revolutionizing the game because he's properly using his best player and then scheming around it. Right. That is your job as a coach. Yeah. And it's it's but really it's not, funny. You can't replicate it. Right. And again, it's what happens when you get guys that are you know, cutting their teeth at these smaller institutions that have to teach football versus just putting athletes in good positions to do athletic things. Right. That's that's the whole Micah Parsons debate too. Right. Freak athlete. Just put him on put him on the field and let him run, go get ball. And it's like, okay, well to say, like to some extent your but your scheme has to complement that because if he's just wherever he's right. coming from is go get ball, someone's got to be in the Basically position he they, should they, be playing. They send him from one side and put DeMarcus Lawrence on the other to contain it. And right. that works quite well. Yes. Because I certainly wouldn't want to run it to Marcus Lawrence. No. And then, and, you know, but at the same time, someone else has got to be dropping. If you're rushing him from the, like an outside right. linebacker position, someone's got to drop into that spot. Right. So, or you get the Trayvon Diggs who's just going to jump every route. And right. I mean, he'll get burned, but, you know, you also have. Those two guys coming up front quick. So, right. I mean, yeah, that's again, that's how you properly. Dan Quinn is a great defensive coordinator, yeah. has been his entire career. He was part of the Legion of Boom. And there's a reason for that. I mean, he knows how to scheme up a defense and properly use his players. But that, again, it's not like you can just go anywhere and just replicate it. You're not just going to find a Demarcus Lawrence. They don't grow on trees. Right. Demarcus Lawrence is a rare breed. And a guy rushing the faster like Micah Parsons, same thing. Yeah. Like, and a, just, a corner with ball skills like Trayvon Diggs. Again, don't you just don't find that everywhere. Right. You don't find a guy who comes from a family of wide receivers that was told, like, hey, you can play receiver here in a few years, or you can flip and try to play corner today. Right. And he went, okay, I'll flip and play corner today. After asking his older brother, what should I do? He goes, well, but guess you're playing corner, huh? <laughs> like, and then you, and then, right. and then you got to rep with one of the best receivers in football. <laughs> Which not, is what? Not, not to mention during practice. I mean, you know, yeah. Dante Smith, Jalen Waddle. No kidding. I mean, yeah. There's there's a reason the guy succeeded, but yeah. that's not the point. No, um, we're all on the same page. So I one last thing here, 
Um, I was watching a clip yesterday of uh, there's a podcast that Eric Wood is on. Oh, the Bustin' with the Boys. Bustin Josh the went boys. on it today. I got to go home and watch it. Uh, he was talking to another offensive lineman. I don't recall Maybe who. Lawan? It might have been Lawan, yeah. And they were talking. It had to be because they were talking about like their like the things that they use and like the cheats that they use. The little to, tricks of yeah. line. Yeah. And yeah. I know, love hearing two hog mollies just rip it up like that. Oh my god, dude! I was I was listening to this and I'm listening to you know Lawan be like you know listen again, especially against some of these like top tier linemen like a top tier like rushers and stuff like you got to have a big bag of tricks like you can't just yeah you got to have a deep bag because you it's not you can't just do the same thing like you know if you want to flash a hand like that's fine but that can't like you you can have a go-to but then you got to have stuff to 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 change the look and and quick you know and change it up he goes you know he goes i like to flash my hand to get to get them on their front foot and then bury a dude and lay on them that's one of my favorite things to do he goes i use it a small handful of times a game. Right. I I will say this, especially for line play, this is how I kind of view um, just the skill gap. At high school, you can have your go-to, and you probably don't ever have to have a change-up. Right. Most likely, especially just unless you're going against a stud. At college, if you're a good player, you have a change-up. If you're a great player, you got three or four moves. Right. At the NFL... If you're a good player, you have three or four moves. If you're a great player, you got the deepest bag. You got three change-ups. You got two outside moves. You got a head-foot fake. You got speed to bowl. You got power to speed. Like, yeah. So, and then offensive line-wise, too. I mean, you can jump set people if you want and try to get on them quick. But if you if you do that too much, he's just going to end up beating you with an inside move, bending back out, and then you're screwed. Yeah. And, I mean, we see Deion Dawkins get caught with that. He really likes to jump set and lean and grab. And I've said that a lot. He had a really good season last year. But a lot of times, like against a TJ Watt or against a really good pass rusher like Frank Clark against, you know, KC, every once in a while he'll get caught just jump setting too often. They'll beat him with an inside move, and then we have to rely on Josh just being a freak athlete to bail him out. Right. Not every quarterback is Josh. So, you know, like Taylor Lewan, Tannehill's a good athlete, but if you just keep if you if you flash that hand too many times and he just bends around the edge and leans and they're bringing heat from the other side, I mean, there's not much you can do. My favorite part of this whole interview was hearing Eric Wood, who sat there. He's like, "Listen, my my move, like my my set the tone move, and my like I, my go to whenever I knew we were in a big spot and I knew I was going to struggle with the guy I was going against, especially in pass pro." He goes, "Because I'm a smaller." He goes, "I was a smaller center." He was, yeah. He was only like what six two, two eighty something. Yeah. He goes, I, "He goes, I I would snap the ball, and with my off hand, I would just put my, the the heel of my hand." right on their forehead as hard as I could. He goes, and I would use the force of them moving forward, my hand coming in as hard as I could to set me back. He goes, and if it bought me a second, he goes, what? Most pass plays are designed to go off in two and a half seconds. So now I have to deal with this dude I know I'm going to struggle with for a, a second and a half, Instead not a full two and a half seconds. Like, he goes, and he goes, just... He goes, I felt bad sometimes. He goes, because there were some dudes I rocked in yeah. the forehead. Like, just... Because he goes, especially some of these bigger dudes, like, they're just a, he goes, they're a great pass rusher. They can get up, get into you, and they're like they're strong. He goes, but they're that split second slower. So it just as you're throwing it, it just inst- instead of it being right in the forehead, it's just below it, like the bridge of the nose, and you're mashing their their helmet yeah. back into their face. And he goes, but it worked. Yeah. He goes, it was one of my favorite changeups, and like it was a great interview. And I I love talking stuff like that. I love talking like that. You know the 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 technique of the game and stuff. And I mean playing even playing flag football now. Like, oh, yeah. You know, you get a guy who, I mean, my go-to is, a, is a, you know, a deep kick step. My outside arm goes out and 
you know, basically monitors your shoulder. And then what you do, if you're pushing hard on that, as soon as I hit to a certain point, I open up and throw you past my quarterback. Right. If you come back across my face, I step in and try to put you on your back. Right. And then I get the guy who gets smart and got, you know, and chops my hand down. So I let him do it twice in a row. Then I fake the hand and then I get to mush him in the face and sit on top of him. Like, yeah, I love that side of the game. When I, when I kick step in flag football, against guys who actually know how to rush, because a lot of times there's not. I like to, you know, I always set with my hands low and inside, and then when they go to put hands on, I come out and over the top and just, you know, hammer down on their arms, and a lot of times they're going for that bull, trying to put hands on, and they're leaning. So I catch their arms, and then I literally just, like, lay on top of them. Right. And just have my balls, like, on the top <laughs> of their head. Um, that's I love that one. Yeah. And I, I could pull that one off pretty often, to be honest. The... Uh I enjoy the fact that they, and I had a deep conversation probably about five, geez, I'm getting old, five, six years ago playing in this league. They changed the rule about that push in the back from the defensive or from the offensive line. Yeah. And a lot of guys got really, really mad because he shoved me in the back and he shoved me to the ground. They're like, it was initial contact. Like you came in, you, you got deep, you went to like dip the shoulder. What's he supposed to hit? Right. Like. He, we, we can't tell him, like, oh, it, like because at that point, just up. just backpedal, and then you, and you get a free rush. Right. Like, and they, a lot of people were really mad about that, but I also found ways, uh, especially when our co-host here, who hasn't been on in quite a minute, I got to talk to him about that, but uh, our co-host, Taylor, was our quarterback. I used to throw people at his hip, like, because he, he, he liked the deep drop because his, between me and our other tackle were so damn tall compared to him. Yeah, he had he to need, see over He it. needed the deep drop to see, and... I knew that if like I had a just that internal, internal clock that if I got beat with a speed rush that one that bear paw on his back just yeah. shove and it was shoving him right at Taylor's hip who was really good at like getting the, getting that ball off and then turning and selling the hit yeah and we got that call probably nine out of ten times and people he, he shoved me into him he's like he's ten he's seven yards away from you how did he shove you into him and it's like because you know momentum and science yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but uh. The refs aren't the brightest. No, the, the 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 tricks of the trade are always fun to talk about. One oh, of these yeah. one of these days, we'll uh, we'll sit down and we'll get Ben in here too, and we'll kind of kind of talk some some real serious X's and O's stuff. Kind of a change of pace here. I'm here for that. Speaking of change of pace, how's your uh, how's your what if league thing coming? It's going well. I mean, I still got my logos. Cool. I, I, I got to make a template for the unis and then figure out what I'm doing with that. How about uh, how about Benny? Uh, well, he misspelled. Sliders. I don't know if you saw that. No. Put two D's. So it was the slitters. <laughs> the slitters. Um, but yeah, he's got the logo as far as I know. So cool. so we'll uh, we'll get that going, and you know, got to figure out some stuff to to do in the meantime because we got to fill content. But uh, pretty sure that's gonna wrap us for this week. Anything else for the goody order? No, just go Bills, man. Go Bills. Uh, tip, our hats, tats, Jesus, hats, tats, and tats podcast part of, the B- <laughs> part of the part of the BICBP Radio Network www.bicbp-radio.com like, follow, share, subscribe, find us on Facebook Hats, Tats, and Stats Podcast, find us on Instagram and Twitter at HTS underscore pod uh, like, follow, share, subscribe there, tell your friends and thanks for tuning in guys on behalf of myself and all my co-hosts including uh, Big Easel Diesel over there Easy Diesel baby <laughs> We'll catch you guys next week <laughs>